Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with the opportunity to come out here and to worship you, Lord. We ask that you would fill this place with your Holy Spirit and that you would lead, guide, and direct this Q&A segment. We thank you, we praise you, uh, and we want to uh, walk closer with you as our desire. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, what's the ideal, what's the ideal of clothing in the church? And then they have jeans question mark. I guess they're, I don't, I'm not sure, you know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm reading the question, but I don't know what they were thinking when they were writing the question, so you, I need you to work with me. What's the idea, what's the ideal clothing in the church? The white I guess, robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, you can't argue with that answer. Yes, yes. What is your take on music in the church, drums, etc.? Elder Skeet, you look deep in thought. <laughs> we want to know what, what you're thinking about. Okay, close. You want to stay on close? Just briefly, in Exodus 28, verse 2, when God gave Moses instructions to make clothes for Aaron, he said, and thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. In other words, when we dress to come into the presence of God, our first concern should be, do I represent God? That's glory. Beauty is second. Normally, we reverse that. Uh, we dress for beauty first. And quite often, we forget glory. And so in dressing, the question has to be, am I representing God? Did I dress with the consciousness of God's glory in mind? 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Also in Exodus 28 verse 5, you'll find that the colors of the high priest's garments were blue, purple, scarlet, gold, and linen. Linen, not a color, but a fabric. That is the same color of the sanctuary itself, which means when you dress, you should look like the occasion for which you're dressing. Did I say that clearly? Let me say it again. The dress of the colors of the high priest were blue, purple, scarlet, gold, and the, the material was linen. It is the same for the tent, so that he looked like the place where he was going. We must look as if we're going to church. Are you clear? Not as if we're going to a basketball game. We must look as if we're going to church. And if you don't know how to look when you're going to church, imagine how you look when you're going for a job interview. We dress completely differently. Yes. Some... Some people, when they go to job interviews, should think about that one as well. I've, I've seen some things, Elder Skeet. I've seen some things in my time. Does anybody else want to touch the uh, clothing issue? Okay. What is your take on music in the church as far as drums are concerned uh, and et cetera? 
Maybe I'll just give a resource out there because that's a really big question with a whole lot of analysis that can take place. My good friend Christian Berdahl spends 12 hours in his Distraction Dilemma series. So if you've not seen that, that would be a very good 101 on music, on sacred music, on what's happening in the secular music industry, which really isn't secular, it's spiritualist music industry, and how the musical styles of the world come into the church. This is problematic because... Well, for various reasons that take 12 hours for him to get into. And so um, I think I'll just leave it at that and a non-answer answer, but we'll really give you a much greater and broader and deeper and more thorough understanding of the why and that this is not some arbitrary thing that people came up with, but there's some very good reasons why we might question using worldly sounds in the church. My observation is that we place too much emphasis on music. I have searched the Bible. I have found no one in the Bible who came to Christ because of music. Everyone came because of the Word. No one I have found yet was converted to Christ because of special music. They were all brought to conversion by the Word. Music has its place, don't misunderstand me. But sometimes we put too much stress on music and not enough on that which tenses the life of a person, and that is the life-giving, life-changing Word of God. Would you like to speak on that? Um, I agree with Mr. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. Um... All right, now this question, Elder Skeet, this is, this is for you. Someone wants to know, are you married? <laughs> and as you heard from the sermon today, he realizes that God made one woman for one man, one-on-one, -on -one, so there's no, there's no chance. Sorry to burst your bubble there. All right. Thank you. Okay. All right. Why is it not good to live together before marriage? Just, just, just let him keep a mic. Just let him keep a mic. What, what number is that? There is a law of Bible study called the law of first mention, which simply means when studying any subject, begin where that subject is first introduced in the Bible. And that has to do with marriage. Just look at the events surrounding the first marriage. God made Adam. Eve was not around. When God made Eve, Adam was not around, effectively. Then he brought them together, married them, and then they lived together. Are you with me? In Matthew 19, when the scribes and Pharisees came to Christ and said, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Jesus says, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Christ took them back to the beginning the way it was. That is still God's standard for today. And so it is contrary to God's arrangement for a man and a woman unmarried to live together. When God said, let us make man in our image, the image was not just a character, the image also involved all the social structures of humanity. The marriage relation is an expression of the image of God. 
The subjection of children to their parents is an expression of the image of God. The way male and female come together to get married is an expression of the image of God. When you live together before marriage, you have reversed God's order, and that is no longer a reflection of the image of God, and the only other option is it's a reflection of the image of the devil. Living together before marriage is anti-biblical. It is wrong. It is immoral. And if one continues that way, in the light of knowledge to the contrary, that person is beating a path to hell. And so I urge anyone who knows someone who may be living in a situation that is not born of marriage, get out of it immediately, even if you have to live under a tree. Get out of it and please God. Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, when you actually study out Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, you will have a survey in Genesis chapter 1 of creation. Genesis chapter 2, you have God's favorite part of creation, which is the creation of man and the Sabbath. But it's quite amazing because Genesis 3 is the fall of man. And Genesis 2, perfection ends. When you actually read the last few lines of Genesis 2, perfection, it ends with the holy physical relationship. I mean, just think about it. But all the ways that God could have ended sort of this picture of perfection, he ends it with a, a committed relationship. And I think the problem is this, is that when you have sex outside marriage, what you are doing is you are having intimacy without commitment. And in God's economy, intimacy comes you know, as a result of commitment. Amen. Here's the thing to understand. Um, fire. Fire is good. Amen? Fire right here is not good. Fire in a campfire is good. Fire in a cold place, you know, a cold house with a, a fireplace, that's good. In other words, in context, something becomes beautiful and effective, efficient. And blessed by God. So sex outside of marriage is outside the context that God laid out. And as a result, we reap the consequences of violating God's commands. You know, one day I was actually um, with this couple. They were not Adventists and they had asked for counseling. They were not married. They had kids together. And uh, the, the lady in the relationship, she just said, you know what? He never listens to me. He doesn't do what I've asked him to do. And he... The man responds like, yeah, she doesn't do that, and she doesn't do this. Finally, I just said, look, here's the thing. Let me get this right. You guys are asking for the blessings of marriage, and you guys aren't married. God will not give you the blessings of marriage because you are not married. So this is something extremely important to understand, is that marriage is a, a special holy thing, and what's reserved for marriage is a physical relationship outside of it, we end up hurting ourselves, hurting others, and the scars stay for a long time. There's lots. Yeah, this one on. There's, there's, you want me to go into that one? Sure. There are always lots of good reasons for obeying God. But sometimes I have to ask myself, what if there were no good reasons that I could find, but God still said, do this, obey. 
would I still obey? Right? I've, I've got children. I've got a five-year-old. And sometimes he'll, he'll say, Dad, why, why do I have to such and such? Or why this? Why that? And I'll sometimes look and discern where his heart is at. Sometimes this is a, I, I'm sincerely wanting to know so that I can have a deeper experience of obedience. That's more rare. But <laughs> sometimes it's a challenging of my authority. I taught high schoolers for years, and I'd often get the questions of why this, why that, why, why, why? And oftentimes, and I'm not saying the questioner is, is of this mindset, but many times we are tempted to, if you can't prove it to me, and if there aren't good reasons that satisfy my uh, you know, logic, then I won't accept it. But many times God will just tell us, obey. And we say, okay, I will, because you're God. Did anybody else? Okay. All right, this person asked, or well said, I'm investing my time, money, money as well as my heart with new friends I met in college whom I dearly love and hope to one day introduce them to Christ. I am trying not to impose my belief on them right off the bat, so I am slowly exposing them to Christ. Am I on the right track with this new approach towards witnessing? Because it's taking up a lot of my uh, energy. I just want to hear it one more time. <laughs> okay. Let's see here. I'm investing my time, money, as well as my heart with new friends I met in college, I dear, whom I dearly love, and hope to one day introduce them to Christ. I am trying not to impose my belief on them right off the bat, so I am slowly exposing them to Christ. Am I on the right track with this new approach towards witnessing because it is taking up a lot of my energy? You're not, you're not using a weapon, are you? Because impose, you know, that, this sounds like I'm not using coercive force to compel them to believe in Christ. This, the, the word impose jumped out at me, at me as, well, you know, the alternative to using an imposition isn't necessarily holding back forever in hope of one day maybe we'll have a conversation about Jesus. Um, there's got to be somewhere in between, uh, you know, this, this seemingly long and endless process before we ever get there versus I'm going to impose this on you. So finding that, finding that balance. Okay, I'm not a preacher, but time is running out. You don't have time to wait and waste and, and all that stuff. You got to hurry up and share Christ with them. We are living in the last days. There's, there's no time to sit there and, and, and try and do that. I just had to say that. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say that sharing Christ should be a joy and a delight. And um, I don't know how this person's, you know, spiritual life is going, a devotional life, but if we know the love of Jesus, God empowers us. There is no energy or wasted or, or exerted. I think we are compelled by the love of Christ to share. That's an excellent point. How can you contain it? Right. And I don't know if this is a question of them just being burned out. You know, and if it is, then this is a, they need to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus would sometimes escape the multitude, 
to go to the mountain to spend time with God and be recharged. And if it's gnats, you know, um, especially those that are, you know, done campus ministries with secular colleges, you really need to spend alone time with God. Um, if you don't, it's easy to be burnt out by just the world. Amen. So you need to spend some special time with Jesus. You'll be equipped and empowered to go back and Amen. to share Jesus. Amen. I agree with everything that has been said so far. Um, my concern would be this person um, and their quality of their relationship with Jesus um, and their perceptions of who God is. Um, if we're seeing it as a waste of time and we're counting our money, we're counting our hours, then there's something need, that needs to be addressed there. And, and like my sister said, it's a joy and delight to love people to Jesus. And if we abide in Jesus, and Jesus, we allow Jesus to abide in us, he will show us the right time when to speak. He will put words in our mouth at the right time when those people are ready. Another thing is, maybe you need to consider other friends. Mm. Elder Skeet, you've got something going on. Up the, no? No? <laughs> All right. All right. I, I want to just something? say something. Um, sometimes our priorities can be kind of, you know, we get so busy. And I get that, you know, and then we're, we're thinking, oh, my friends, they need to know the Lord, too. So I guess in that sense, this person's probably having a burden and, you know, wants to know how to do everything, you know, school or work, and then also the burden, you know, the cause of, of heaven, sharing Christ. Okay. I just wanted to clarify my last statement. I didn't mean to say wipe out those friends and get other friends. I think you need to also surround yourself with friends that will encourage you and spiritual friends that will strengthen you through this process and pray for you. Okay. We have nine minutes left, so I'm, we're going we're gonna to rush through this one. Okay. How do you distinguish between what you want and what God wants? I'm sure Elder Randy and Pastor Neil or Brother Scott have something more elaborate and eloquent to say. But the Lord says, wait on the Lord. I said, wait. No? All right. I have my young adult group at my church that I've been nurturing. We've been doing a lot of activities and spending plenty of quality time together as a group. So far, our activities have been good times and fun, but not so much spiritually led. I am starting to get a bit impatient, but I don't want to rush anything too soon. How should I proceed? There's a quotation, um, I just shared it this afternoon, I don't remember the reference, but you can look it up. It says, 
social engagements can be profitable among the people of God when we come together with our hearts glowing for the love of Jesus and we, we discuss the word of God and we discuss the work of God. And that's, that's the description of what a Adventist Christian social gathering looks like. If we look like the world and we're just having a good time, what's the point? Yeah, I think uh, one thing I do whenever I work with uh, young adult groups or I teach people about small groups, I always tell them to remember the acronym SNOW. Um, and that kind of helps you to gauge what your group needs. SNOW, S-N-O-W, right? Study, nature, outreach, and worship. And uh, oftentimes groups can be imbalanced because all they have, for example, is just one aspect of that. Um, but it's always important that as you're working with small groups, you're working with young adult groups or whatever, Bible study groups, just ask yourself, wait, what, what is this group missing right now? We've done a lot of fellowship, but have we actually spent time just praying together? Have you ever just spent time, you know, just studying the Bible together? And oftentimes that helps bring balance to a group so that it's productive instead of something that's just draining or it's, it's not really effective at what it's supposed to be doing. So, again, just remember that acronym, S-N-O-W, Study, Nature, Outreach, Worship. And when you kind of um, put those components in, the ones that may be missing, you'll find a balancing that begins to happen to, to that group. And in the end, it turns out to be a, a blessing. So. All right. This is a two-part question. This is the last two questions. Um, in Anil Kanda's breakout session, number two, he says to take, did I say your last name right? Can you say it one more time? Kanda. <laughs> you did good. Okay. <laughs> All right. In Anil Kanda's breakout session, number two, he says to take people out to eat. What if I really don't want to take this person out to eat? <laughs> because we don't mesh well. Is there other ways to get to know them? Do you want to take this one? <laughs> Here's a long, complicated answer. If you don't want to take them out to lunch, don't. But the reality is, I mean, it doesn't have to be over food. Sometimes it can just be connecting, uh, telephone call, prayer. Um, I just use the meal thing because to me it's effective. It builds uh, bridges and bonds and opens doors to um, sharing deep things of God. Um, so, but if... if you know what, if you absolutely don't want to go out with that person over a meal, maybe you need to. Maybe Jesus needs to do some healing of the nations under the tree of life. You know what I mean by that? Um, in fact, in the end, you may want to continue to spend time and witnessing more and uh, sharing and learning together as a result of spending that time that may be needed. So. I agree with uh, Pastor Anil. Um, and the other side of it also is that God wants us to be honest and genuine and authentic when we reach others and when we make efforts. So if you're not feeling it, it's okay. But then again, the other side is maybe you do need to do it. <laughs> But no, I think what I'm trying to touch on is we operate from guilt a lot, and that's not what God expects from us. God wants us to be authentic and genuine in what we do for his glory. 
because it's not for us. So be authentic, be genuine, be real. If you don't want to do it, don't. Or you can start off the conversation during the lunch meal. Like, look, I really don't want to spend some time with you. Um, but I'm here and I'm trying. And then you can let us know how that worked for you. Share that with us. <laughs> All right. This is the last and final question. Question number two. My gay friend wants to get baptized in the Adventist church, but our church won't allow it. Now he's trying to push his agenda through, throughout the church. Uh, what should I do? What do you mean, push his agenda? What agenda? At the gay lifestyle? I, I, guess, I guess he's trying, maybe they're trying to get the church to accept it. I, I don't know. Well, when you say he's gay, does he practice the lifestyle or does he have that tendency? If, 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 you wrote the, if you wrote this question and you're not, as, you know, if, if you're not shy and you'd like to. Because I ask that because some people have a tendency for fornication. Some have a tendency for um, uh, adultery. Some have a tendency for stealing. But they don't carry out the tendency. So if he has a tendency for that lifestyle but does not act upon the tendency, then I don't see why he can be baptized. Because all of us are fighting the tendency of sin. You understand? Amen. But if he wants to bring the lifestyle into the church, whether he's gay, uh, crack cocaine addict, or whatever, then that can't happen. But the church exists to let people know there's power to change. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't mean for this to sound as a criticism in any way, but a situation like this would tell me there was not enough proactive action done through this process? Who studied with him? Who connected with him? That he has to push his agenda now. Where was the proactiveness in the body of the church? How sensitive, how, how are, is the church trained? Do we understand what this man's life is about? There might be other issues going on. How has the leadership handled this? Because if all of that was in place, I promise you, because Jesus said so, he would not be pushing his agenda if this man was ministered to in a proactive method. Yeah. All right. Yeah, um, one thing, sorry. Okay. Um, the engines take a little bit longer to start. Okay, um, you know, one thing that's extremely important, I appreciate what Pastor Skeet and Vernon were saying, is that, you know, is this an issue of just this man is wrestling with same-sex attraction, or is this somebody who's in a relationship who's practicing the lifestyle? And that's very important to, you know, um, understand. Um, and, and the reason I bring this up is because we're dealing with the, an issue that's obviously growing more and more, it's, you know, and in the next few years, it, it is really going to grow more and more and more, and the church has to deal with it more and more and more. And oftentimes, um, there's an imbalance in dealing with it. Either it's extreme condemnation where people don't want to even look at people who have that kind of issue, 
or it's the complete opposite end where you have this kind of accommodation. And you'll hear that term more and more continue to, to be used. But the problem with the accommodation argument is this, is that Isaiah says at the end of time, we're going to be called repairers of the breach. You're not going to have an accommodation. You're going to have a, a greater revelation, a reprioritization of biblical truth, not a pulling away or an accommodating to sin. You're not going to find that. That's not what prophecy teaches. So the reason I bring this up is first we need to understand what exactly is the issue here. Second of all, you know, I, I, I did a, a prophecy seminar recently and a gay couple came forward. And, uh, you know, we've been studying with them. But on the very first day, they've been going to another church that was affirming their lifestyle. On the very first day, we studied the Bible with them. Realized this is going to be a very interesting situation. They asked a the question. They said, what does your church actually believe about gay marriage? What does it believe? Do you guys affirm it? And inside the house, I mean, there's pictures of them. They're married, you know, as far as they understand, you know, their concept of marriage. I mean, this, this is a couple that's lived together for many years. And so they've asked a the question. They said, what does your church believe about this? And you know what I told them? I said, here's the thing to understand. It's very important. Before we can understand the creator's obligation, we need to understand the creator. I said, before we can understand what God wants us to do, let's understand who this God is. Amen. And since that time, there has been a process of study. They've asked the question, you know, a few times, hey, why haven't we been baptized? Or why? We recognize this is a sensitive situation. But what we're doing is we're just spending time studying the Bible, loving them. And uh, we're seeing God do the heavy lifting. And what I mean by that, I won't go into too much detail, but what I am saying is God is doing a work Amen. that we could not have done. And so prayer, love, and continual study of the Bible. Amen. The word changes and transforms people. And, and that's what we're called to do. And you will see God do the lifting. Amen. Amen. And so that's what I really challenge. That's what God's been doing through our church plant. It's been working. And uh, the more we're educated and have balanced principles on dealing with the subject, the more we're going to be able to, to move forward and see people change and brought into the kingdom. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.